You're listening to Points in Between. This is episode nine, Friends and Family. I used to watch movies, so I, I kind of expected as everyone to be friendly, but that was like that's the wrong expectation. I mean, um, okay, they're people friendly, but um, to mingle with them, you need to like the chemistry. You need it's hard to find people who have the same chemistry as you. This episode of Points in Between is about putting down roots in a new place. How do students who are new to American schools make friends? And what happens at home as they start to get more comfortable? We began with Shiraj, who moved from a boarding school in India to a public school in California during high school. The first few weeks, uh, I didn't have friends, so I had to sit alone and have lunch. Or it would be really embarrassing because, like, I didn't know what to do. I mean, if I if I go try to talk to someone, it's <laughs> kind of weird. <laughs> but then um, I tried also I tried to talk to a few people. But then the the guys wouldn't because like it's pretty weird when someone comes to start to talk to you. So I tried to do that, but okay, it doesn't work. So I just like kind of left, and I thought I'll do some sport to um, get to know more people. So I decided to do cross country, and I found a few people there. If you listen to episode two, you might remember that in India, Shiraj was a cricket player. It was important to him. Vishnu was a cricket player too. He picked up badminton at school here in California to meet people. How did you feel about just like you weren't a cricket player anymore? And not just you weren't a cricket player anymore, but like no one even knew what it was. Like, so no one in my school knew what cricket was, but cricket still exists in the US. A lot of people play it in like a competitive level. So I like, I stopped playing with them. So cricket still exists too. I used to like talk about cricket a lot. So I had to find different things to talk about. So I used to talk with like, I don't know, like academics a lot. which kind of made me look like a nerd, which was not ideal, but I guess. The good thing playing cricket in the US is like, in India you'll play cricket only the Indian players, like top Indian people, but in the US you play against like the top Indian people, top English people, like top players from all across the world. So that kind of opened my perspective again. So although like it shut me down on one side, like maybe you can talk to people in my school with cricket, it opened me to like talk to people from New Zealand and Australia about cricket from their country. So I got something by losing something, so yeah. Serafan, who came from Senegal, loved soccer. In his case, there was a team, but he wasn't sure how to join it. But then the first couple of weeks to go try out, it was like, I didn't know where to start because, you know, everybody, like hundreds of people trying out for the team. And it's like, oh man, what am I going to do? I don't really talk to anybody. So it got me upset a little bit because, you know, you want to talk to people, but you don't know how to, where to start or how to approach people. And it's like, oh, well, whatever. So what I would just do is wait. When they practicing on this side, I'll be on the other side doing something else until the coach notices me and is like, hey, come here. And then that's how I get integrated to the soccer team and then started talking to people and then it was all. You're probably noticing a theme here. Let's try another one. Simon was born in Korea, but spent much of elementary school in the U.S., he had the experience of switching to school in a new country twice. Once when he moved from the U.S. to Korea toward the end of elementary school, and then again when he moved back to the U.S. for high school. I asked him about making his first Korean friend. So we started talking about video games, which is another thing I think that is pretty universal that a lot of people can talk about. And we ended up playing the same one, and 
he came over one day. I asked him to come over if he wanted to play some video games, and that was it. He was like the first friend I think I called, because he, he, I think he lived in America for like maybe like six months, so his English wasn't even that bad either. So like that kind of thing, like we connected on that. We connected on like video games and that whole thing was just like pretty, pretty like pretty good. Simon mentions two types of common ground. First, video games, which he describes as universal. And then second, the experience itself of attending school in a new country. When he came back to the U.S., he tried to rekindle his elementary school friendships, but that didn't work out. So? What I found was that through basketball, I tried out for the basketball team sophomore year, and that basketball platform basically boosted me to this place where I had, like, bunch of my friends on the team and we eventually formed like a squad outside of the basketball team and that was like and that's been my friends like my best friends till today i think that's like a big part about you know how i've started becoming part of american culture the benefit of a sports team is that it comes with a sense of camaraderie and common ground built right into it when she moved from the gambia to england at age 15 linger didn't find the kind of culture of extracurricular sports that exists in many american schools it was hard for me to make friends, partly because in a in our com in homeroom basically, for the first like three or four months, I would literally walk in and sit and read and not talk to anybody. I was just terrified of being in close proximity with all of these English people. And then at some point, our my homeroom teacher took my book and was like, "No, you have to talk to people." And that was great because actually I started to make friends. And it's funny because my first friend was an international student in her first year in England. Um, she was from South Africa, actually. And she she was more outgoing than I was, so she had already started to make friends. But once we became friends, we became really close. So sh she and this black English girl and I were really good friends in my first year. And because of them, I started to like meet other people. Lingare's teacher helped facilitate her interactions with classmates. And she and her first friend shared a common experience of being international students. It isn't always a simple prospect to find someone with a shared common experience. Schools in the U.S. reflect the larger society, including divisions based on racial and ethnic categories. Roya, from Afghanistan, had to puzzle out where she fit. Even Palo Alto was predominantly white. So, um, you know, coming from India, I was really colored. I had tan. <laughs> so the kids were looking at me because my niece was really fair. They were like, oh, you're dark. Your niece is like, that's the first time I learned about color because it was like, really? I'm dark? Because <laughs> one kid told me, it's like, oh, she's dark. And telling my niece, is like, you're light. Um, and I was like, really? I'm dark? Um, and then going Monterey, and I saw the divisions of children of black kids are separate, Asian kids are by themselves, and Latinos were separate, and the white kids. So that kind of like struck me, I was like, oh my God. So you gotta have to fit into which group you can fit in. I don't even know where I'm fitting to any of these groups. And how did you decide what group, did you feel like you had to decide what group you fit into? Um, no, it was just for me, it was like having someone to talk to or be friend with. Because even the, the English second language, Latino Spanish kids were sitting by themselves. So it's kind of like you still, lunchtime, you're lonely. <laughs> we're gonna eat your lunch. I think I learned it very fast that lunchtime was my horrible nightmare because I didn't like lunchtime because everybody with their friends and I didn't have anybody. So it was either I would go to the library and then just eat my food and I would just keep watching the clocks when the class starts because the class time was my fun time. 
Um, but then I had, uh, there was a, a Chinese girl, Ellen, and then Sandra, this other German girl, who they came transfer when I was there. So I ended up becoming their friends because they're not connected to any other backgrounds. So three of us became friends. I also asked Xu Hui, a college exchange student from China, if he interacts much with American students in his classes. He said, sure. For example, he asks his classmates plenty of questions about the class itself. Yeah, in most of cases, what I ask should be those Asian faces. Yeah, I seldom ask those <laughs> European faces, <laughs> American faces, because Berkeley really have a diverse culture here, but I also feel the segregation. I mean, different kind of people with different skins. They actually, yeah, talked in a circle themselves. But at the same time, actually, I didn't, didn't mind that at all because I usually, what I ask usually is the people sitting next to me. So no matter if <laughs> it's European or American or uh, Chinese born American, I'll, I like that. I just ask the people sitting next to me. But you see, what is interesting is that in most cases, <laughs> the ones sit behind, beside me, behind me, in front of me, <laughs> actually have an Asian face. Chu Hui's account is a reminder of what our own behavior signals to newcomers. He clearly felt more comfortable reaching out to Asian and Asian American students, but then also the social geography of the classroom reinforced that. Raouf from Yemen found that being an English learner was enough common ground to form friendships. I think what made it easier is that I was with people that are also immigrants, that are learning the language itself too. So there was no attitude between or among the students because we were in the same plane. And the Ethiopian guy was the sort of starting point. But then I think maybe four to five months, that's when I started to also have another buddy who was from Guatemala, <laughs> and I still remember his name, Alex. He was here already, I think, I think for three years, and and he did struggle, and that's because he was working, and he was not really showing up to classes that much. He relied on me to give him the homework and tell him out because I was receiving my, I was getting help with my homework in the center, but for him. First, I think he didn't find anywhere to go. Second, he cannot stay in the school to get help because he need to go and work. And so, I think that's when I would call common interest uh, merge. Like, you know, the relationship between Saudi Arabia and America, you know. <laughs> I just gave that, you know, um, analogy just to give you sort of, you know, Americans need the oil and Saudis need the uh, sort of protection. And that's what happened with me with Alex. He need my homework, but I, at the same time, I do need his help with everything else. Every friend is valuable. But from the standpoint of cultural adaptation, I was curious about newcomers' first American-born friends. I asked Roya if she made any American-born friends in high school. 
In high school, I did for a short period of time. This girl, Shalia, she moved from Eureka to Monterey. Uh, she was a white girl, moved in. She didn't fit in just a similar case because she was new. Nobody wants to be her friends. So I had one class with her, and then I ended up being friends with her uh, for one year in high school. Caroline and her mother came from Czech Republic when Caroline was 14. They moved again when Caroline had been in the U.S. for about a year. I knew one girl because of um, her father was Czech, and she... We, like, moved over to their apartment for a little while. So me and her were sort of like these unofficial sisters. And she didn't know any Czech. She's completely, you know, American, San Diego-born. So she really was, like, my really, really first, like, intimate American friend just because we were living together, literally. And, you know, we had the same room. We shared everything. Um, So I sort of, I suppose I had this, through her, I had the access to everybody else. In addition to introducing her to a network of friends, Caroline's temporary roommate expanded her knowledge of American pop culture. You can hear more about that, if you haven't already, in episode 7. Selena moved to Utah from Bosnia when she was 12. I think I made my first American-born friend in 8th grade. Um, There was a girl named Lindsay Smith. we're still keep in touch, and we were, we've been friends for years now. Um, she sat in the clo- in the in a chair next to mine, and she would pass me notes, which was my first experience with note passing. Never knew this was a thing, but she just said hi, and her eye had a heart, and then a smiley face. And then I learned, I started learning how to write with the Z's, you know, like cool k-e-w-l like i learned that this is like a thing that people do right and people write like this and call each other babes and sweetheart or whatever it is and she was my first friend that kind of taught me that and introduced me to music and she was kind of my source to like understanding how socializing worked um, you know, she invited me to sleepovers. I TP'd someone's house once. I never knew that was a thing. I was like, why would you waste toilet paper? <laughs> you know, this is my whole thing. I'm like, oh, this is expensive. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're like, I went to a, I went to a school without a bathroom, and now we're just throwing toilet paper. <laughs> yeah, that was exactly what I thought. I'm like, these kids are crazy. <laughs> this is so entitled. I was like, oh my god, I'm a vandal. You know? Selena made her first friend in the classroom. But that relationship gave her access to something beyond the shared world of school. She got to see how American kids acted in their private lives. Serafan also had the opportunity to get a view into this private world. We left him just as he joined a soccer team. He got to know people, but it took a while to develop a true friendship with an American. So my first friend, um, American friend, his name is Chad. So we met through soccer too because after like three years there's a semi-pro league that's in around so a friend of mine was like a French guy oh you want to play for this team they're looking for players so I went there I started playing and then I met him he goes hey I live in Hero you know where are you you from I was like Senegal he goes oh man I'm stupid he says I'm stupid I don't know where the place is so I talked to him and then he t- he was exchanged numbers after the game, and he you know he called a couple of times to hang out, and I was just keeping my distance because like, until one day he goes, I give you a ride to the game. I live in Harrod. So I was like, um, okay, gave my address. He picked me up, went to the game. 
you wanna hang out later on tonight? We're gonna go out with the guys. You know, meet my friends, man. Come on. I was like, oh. I was like, okay, sure. So that's how I started hanging out with him, met his friend, the other guys. Since then, they've all been friends for ten years now. Sederfan does remember his first visit to Chad's house, where he met his family. So when I went in on a Saturday night, walked in. The dad is like, uh, he loves. He he's been to Africa before, and he loves hunting. <laughs> so when I walked in, they had a they had some type of deal on the wall. When you walked in and I like, looked at it, I was like, oh, really? <laughs> so, whatever. He and the, the mom, hey. I heard so much about you. I was like, right there, they were so nice. And I was like, oh, this is cool. They were telling me they were teachers, they were principals. The dad, I've been to Africa a couple of times. I've been, he's been to Zimbabwe and in some other countries. I was like, oh, that's, that's cool. Hunting? He goes, ah. Oh. I was like, yeah. <laughs> but they're very, and you know, until these days, they always call and they have a wrench. So they always invite us to go to the ranch. We all get together and go there for like a weekend hangout. Clearly, Serafan likes Chad's parents. The meeting went well. To me, though, it also sounds a little bit awkward. Like, it was one of those moments where personal goodwill intersects with the weirder dynamics of the larger world. Shiraj tried to avoid some of this awkwardness. Yeah, he's actually, his parents are Indian, but he's American. So... Yeah, I thought he'll, because he, he's Indian, I thought it will be kind of like he will have some Indian in him. But no, he's like he's totally American. So we actually cross country together. So because uh, no, the first time I think I saw his parents was when I think I went to his house once. It was I was really surprised because his parents like they were cooking Indian food and uh, they're talking in Hindi. But he was he came, just came across and he's like, "Mom, this is my friend Firaj. He he's from India." And, and then that's it. And then we went to his room. And uh, if 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 I would to do the same thing with my friend, I would uh, call him. I would talk to my parents about him. My parents would talk to him. We would mingle a bit, and then I would go to my room. Yeah, and then also one time his dad drove us to Los, uh, Los Angeles for a meet, cross-country meet. Okay, I don't know why I'm mentioning this, but he didn't really care about anything what's going on in the car. Uh, he just didn't care about his, what his son is doing or whatever his friends are doing. He's just driving his thing and then whatever. Because if my parents were drove and then my dad would talk to them about, so how's life, how are you doing and all that. I'm not, I mean, I'm not trying to be mean to, towards that. He, yeah, it's really different. You can hear Shiraj trying to overlay two cultural norms on top of each other right here. Through one lens, his friend's parents are giving the boys space and privacy appropriate to their age. But through the other, his friend is being rude, and his friend's parents seem strangely disinterested in their son's life. Linger also commented on differences in family dynamics between the Gambia and the U.S. Things in the Gambia, in being slightly more conservative then and now, also allowed us a longer childhood. So with my students now, I know that they're drinking or doing drugs or having sex or whatever else it is. And when I was in the Gambia, that was, was just like not even, I mean, it's probably on people's minds, but it's really not what students were doing in their free time. We were just always hanging out at each other's houses and our parents knew our friends' parents really well. And I see that sometimes here, but definitely not to the same extent I saw in Gambia because 
in Gambia, not only would my parents know my friends' parents, they would have known my friends' parents' parents and like my friends' parents' cousins. And like everyone just kind of knows each other. The notion of family is so humongous there. Despite differences, Lingare adapted to the social life of students while she was in England. There were minor hiccups. I think the only other big difference, though, is um, drinking age, because in England it's 18, but I've always been a grade below whatever grade I was in. Um, So all of my friends turned 18 senior year except me. Um, So I felt a little bit behind in that, because even though they they would invite me out and everything, and we could sometimes we'd just go to the sketchy pubs that would serve underage students, but sometimes they also wanted to go to like nicer ones because they were now of age, and I couldn't really go. And I remember this moment where, because at this point I was the only black girl in both the year 12 and 13. And I remember this moment where someone was like, okay, well, why don't you use this person's fake? Like, And I was like, she looks nothing like me. And they were like, yeah, her dad is black. And I was like, I mean, she looks hella white. This was before San Francisco, so I didn't actually say hella back then. But I was just like, this is crazy. So then I borrowed my cousin's ID, my cousin, also looks nothing like me. She's way more light-skinned and her entire face is different. And I somehow still got in everywhere. So I guess, thank God for weird, insidious, racist moments. <laughs> but I think the age thing was one thing that kept me feeling a little separate and I was still quite shy. Roya said that for her, the feeling of belonging really didn't happen until college. Yes, it was such a diverse school. I met, met friends from Africa, from uh, Australia, Japan, uh, Costa Rica, I mean, like, so many different, uh, Puerto Rico, like, like all my closest friends were from like, everywhere. So I have like international <laughs> friends. <laughs> and then um, the second friend uh, in college. She means her second American-born friend here. Uh, was Erin, and she was uh, born, raised in Las Vegas, African-American. So that was my second American-born friend. Roya mostly brought these friends to her family's house, rather than going to theirs. This was partly geographical. Her mom lived nearby. And also, I think it was a cultural thing. Since growing up, my mom, she always wants us to bring friends and more welcoming of bringing people in the house. If it was a Thanksgiving, I would bring a friend. Like, there was always holidays that I had one or two friends from college that would just, they would tag around, coming with me. I really enjoyed picturing this international, intercultural Thanksgiving crowd that brought Roya's school world together with her family. It can be hard to bridge that gap. Jessica, who came from Mexico in the sixth grade, still finds it challenging. My first American friend, huh? Trying to think, who was it? I can't remember, I swear to God, because I think I feel like most of the time, like, I was always not stick to my own kind, but yeah, stick to people that look like me because you just, that's what you're used to, especially if you're coming to a, like a, a completely different country. Like, over there, like, I never saw Chinese people, I never saw African American people, I never saw anybody that looked different like me. So I was kind of like blown away just to seeing, like, you know, all kinds of different people here. So I thought that was interesting, but yeah, I didn't, I don't think I actually made like in grammar school American friend even here even here as I'm in school like I already been through this whole year journey and everything but like even here like my classmates here don't not that they they have to have the same background but like we don't really understand each other in a lot of things because um how can I say like I mean a lot of their parents are educated and a lot of their parents like they had the opportunities to have school have all this stuff that you know like and we didn't <laughs> so I don't know I still feel like that there is like you know like a gap that I have to cross in order for me to just be friends with them like yeah 
Do you feel the same way about that gap existing between you and your parents now? Because you've had such a different experience in America than they have. Hmm. Yeah, actually, I have thought about that. Like, I feel like their experience has been just all about work. And like we have uh, like for our experience has been more about exploration and like understanding where the place that we're at. My dad, he works like six days. He's, he works six days a week for like 10 hours every day. And I was just like, dude, that's, you, that's been your life for 15 years. Like, when are you going to stop? Do you feel like he knows and your mom knows what your day to day life is like now? Mm, no, they don't. I mean, she asks me all the time, like, what am I doing? But I don't think they understand that. I don't think they understand it at all, to be honest. To think about what's happening here, it helps to go back to observations that Siobhan, another newcomer, made in episode 8. As Jessica moved from Mexico through American schools and into college, she didn't just traverse boundaries of nationality, race, and language. She's also going to school now, mostly with people from a different social class than the one she grew up in. Money and work also came up in my conversation with Juan from El Salvador. But at the same time, I think that all that process just uh, gave me a lot of endurance, which is which is good. And um, you know, I pretty much started working since since um, like like a couple of weeks after I arrived here. You know, I started working in a fast food restaurant and then uh, moved into a retail store. So I've been working since I'm like sixteen and a half and going to school since I you know since I came here pretty much. So uh, I was tired, especially this I worked because. Um, being, when I was in high school, I worked three days during the week. So I get off from school around 3, 3.30. I will start work around 5. I will be home. I will get into bed 10, 30, 11, and then go to school the next morning. And then on the weekends, I will work one eight-hour shift uh, on a Saturday or on a Sunday. But again, it isn't just about being busy or needing to earn money. As the conversation turned to Juan's parents, it was clear that what we were discussing was class identity. They both had it hard, um, but now that I am getting in, developing my own career, I can tell that it was probably harder. Not that it wasn't hard for my mom, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it was a little bit harder for my dad because um, he was an attorney there, and um, and he he had to work as a janitor here. So it was, from my point of view, I guess it was a step down for him, and. Um, he was uh, he went and he went to the Salvadorian Council in San Francisco, and he met this other attorney from El Salvador who was pretty successful. And he he was uh, fortunate enough to meet him, and they started working together. And he started working as an attorney from El Salvador, doing legal documents here as well. Are there things that you think your parents didn't understand or don't understand about, like what it was like for you to go to school when you came here? You know, when it comes to um, education, first that they'll they always, just like any parent, you know, go to school, go to college, get good grades. Um, they they somehow thought that by just by getting a degree, I'll automatically get a good paying job, <laughs> or a decent paying job. And it, it's uh, you know uh, that that's one of the things that's kind of frustrating me, or has frustrated me that I, I mean I know I know that I work hard for my things, but. Um, you know, it kind of came crashing down to me that I had to work a lot harder to uh, to make, uh, I say, what say, a better type of living or uh, the type of living that I was suspecting in my head. They understood that I was going to have to work hard on college to get good grades, but they didn't understand that it was going to take a lot more to uh, 
to get uh i guess the lifestyle that 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 they you know they had in their mind that i was gonna be getting salina too was involved with her family's process of upward mobility my father god bless his soul when he came here his diploma didn't even count so he couldn't even be an x-ray tech he worked a graveyard shift as a janitor at a cookie company and uh slept for like three hours a day and went to school during the day you know studying for anything from like clep exams to going to classes um and i was the one in our family that spoke the most english because i was the most extroverted so like i absorbed it the quickest i was writing my father's college papers at like 13 and 14 to help him, you know, get his job back. And, you know, my my mom, she didn't speak any English and she just worked like a minimum wage. And I think minimum wage in Utah then was like 550 job um, at like a window making company or something. And um, I think of that and then I think of like how now my father has been at his hospital where he works as an x-ray tech um, for the last 20 years or something like that and he mentors other people and you know they my all my we have this beautiful house in the suburbs in Utah and my father like rides his very nice like Goldwing motorcycle and he's part of like a little club and you know my mom is a supervisor at a company and it's just like such a far place from where we were. In the last episode I talked about the long history of children who cross borders and learn how to practice more than one culture. A frequent element of that transition is negotiation and debate with family members or employers from their first culture who object to the ways they adapt to fit in. As intimately involved as Selena was with her family's economic efforts, she had a whole school world that they did not understand. My parents would say I'm Americanized. It bothered them because, well, one, I don't think they understood how, understood how school functioned. For example, um, a, a lot of American kids, they give hugs. Um, it's, it's like a normal thing. So like someone walks you to your locker and they're saying goodbye, they'll give you a hug and they'll leave. So one day my dad, he came into the school and he saw a boy give me a hug and my dad's, you know, a conservative Muslim. So this was like, holy crap, you know, he was very upset with me and um, I got grounded for a long time because of that. But I was trying to explain to him that like, this is normal. Like pe- kids do this and kids go walk, you know, to a 7-Eleven and get Slurpees after school, but which I wasn't allowed to do because it was too dangerous, you know? And um, that my, my, my parents were just like, as long as you're making good grades, like that's, that's all they care about. But they didn't even, they couldn't help me with my schoolwork. It was really hard to explain to my parents like why it was so difficult to fit in, you know? And I don't think they minded too much because they were so busy trying to like make a living for us and trying to give us a better life. You know, they had moved here and sacrificed everything for us. I feel like the last thing that they needed or wanted to worry about was like, how's their kid doing in the friend, you know, making friends and stuff. They were just kind of like, okay, like, you know, let us know. <laughs> they did their best. I know that they did, but um, it, it was hard to explain to them like, listen, like socializing here is different than there. And, you know, they never felt safe. So I tried to respect that as much as I could, as difficult as it was on my social life. Respecting her parents didn't mean remaining completely isolated from her new school world. Like most kids, Selena picked her fights. She prioritized some kinds of school participation above others. And as you'll hear, the negotiations are ongoing, even into adulthood. I realized that like if I don't take matters into my own hands, like I'm never going to go to a dance. So I asked the boy to ask me um, to junior prom and then senior prom. I asked somebody because I was like, 
you know what, I have to go to prom. And I told my parents, I was like, this is an experience. It, American kids do this. Like, I have to do this because someday I'm going to look back. And if I didn't go, like, I'm going to be sorry that I didn't go. So I tried to explain to them, like, why is it, why it was important. And although I couldn't, like, afford the limo or, like, the fancy dinner or anything like that, um, I had a couple of friends who, like, helped me out and I got a job my very first job at a little Caesars pizza I held the sign outside and I I made enough money to buy a dress and a prom ticket and you know participate in a dinner your dad had to get to the from the point where oh my god a boy hugged my daughter at school to my daughter's putting on a dress and going to dance with a guy but I just wondered uh, you know like about that or how that happened um Oh, my father is a lovely, stubborn soul. Um, <laughs> love him so much. It was a, it was a, a lot of fighting and pulling teeth. And when I first, it was even like that, honestly, until a few years ago, because like posting pictures on Facebook, for example, I'm in the fitness industry, right? So I compete. So there are a lot of photographs out there of me and some of them I'm wearing a bikini, you know? And my father was like, you know, I love you, but I can't see this. So he unfriended me on Facebook because he was like, I, I can't see this, right? Like this is not okay for me as a Muslim man. It was, it was, a, it was a lot of pulling teeth, honestly. So my dad, I think he started really kind of trying to understand me um, in the last few years. I asked him if he would send me a paragraph for like each phase of his life or year of his life. I said he could write in Bosnian, whatever he wanted. So he has been writing these emails to me for the last year and a half, two years or something like that. And we are uh, at the part where it's wartime and I'm probably about nine or 10 years old. Um, and I asked about his experience, you know, and I asked him, you know, you could incorporate us if you wanted to, my mom and my sister and I, but I want this to be like, how was your life and how did you do so i'm really looking forward to reading um just his perspective and his years in america because i think that one it's going to be important for my children to know where um i come from and where, where their grandparents come from but um recently i think him writing these emails and like reflecting on his life he would tell me like if i knew better you know back when you were younger i would have put you in more extracurricular activities like i would have sacrificed the money i would have worked you know more so that you can have these things because i know that they're important now but you know and so he has said he's sorry you know for not being as chill as he could be <laughs> but um now he is fairly accepting as conservative as my dad is he practices his religion and you know in my house we have a rule now where we don't celebrate any religious holidays we only celebrate birthdays and accomplishments and this way we keep the peace you know and my parents separate their separate their religions and they practice their own things and um my sister neither one of us are is you know religious but we are very um open-minded because of my parents and i'm really grateful to my parents um for growing with me in this episode you heard about making friends and putting down roots in a new culture. You also heard along the way about the negotiations this brings about inside families. In the final episode of Points in Between, episode 10, we'll explore what it means to be an American and how the people you've met in this podcast define themselves. Points in Between is a production of the California Global Education Project. I'm Shane Carter. See the Points In Between webpage for additional information about each episode. You can find it at cispisglobal.org. Look under the Resources tab.